everybody. I'm so excited to share my podcast with my friend, Jono Wilson. He's my very first comedian, impersonator, and actor. Jono grew up in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts with his parents and younger brother, Pete. He then journeyed on to DC where he attended Georgetown University. After college, he decided to enter the corporate world and took a job at a consulting company in DC and on the side, he would pursue acting gigs. At the age of 27, Jono decided to take a leap of faith to finally pursue his dream of becoming an actor. He packed up and moved to LA, couch surfing and caddying to get by. Fast forward almost 10 years, he has had a remarkable journey. Jono tells us about both his setbacks and awesome comebacks, such as his role on Disney's hit show, Raven's Home, getting called out to two Saturday Night Live auditions, and he will be on Curb Your Enthusiasm episodes this fall. Not to mention, Jono is also the most incredible impersonator and will make you hysterically laugh. He has been featured on Good Day LA. You definitely have to check out his TikTok account where he has 375,000 followers and nails impersonations of well-known celebrities such as Vince Vaughn, Matthew McConaughey, my favorite, Tom Hanks, and many more. I'm so excited to continue to watch Jono kill it in LA. Welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have you here. Just so listeners know how we're connected. So I'm good friends with the O'Neill family and Jen O'Neill is marrying your little brother, Pete. And they're yeah. an awesome couple. We all think that Jenna is the funniest person in the world. So when I heard her soon to be brother-in-law was a comedian slash actor impersonator, I was like, what's it like to be with someone like around someone that's funnier than you? And she said, it's never ending laughter. So <laughs> I thought she was definitely going to say, well, he's not funnier. <laughs> no, but seriously, we all think she's literally the funniest person. I was at a party with them a couple months ago, and we were talking about you and your journey in LA. And I think all at the same time, simultaneously, we were like, we have to get John on the podcast. So here we are <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a couple months later, Wednesday, June 30th. So not only am I thrilled to be sharing your unique journey, but I'm also really excited to learn more about the acting comedian industry, given that you're my very first actor slash comedian impersonator on the podcast. So it'll be fun. I, I am honored. <laughs> But before we dive into your story in LA, we'd love for you to provide us with a little bit of background on life before LA. So if you can kick it off by telling us, you know, where you grew up and went to school, that would be great. Sure. Yeah. So I, uh, I grew up in a little town called Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. I was actually born in New York city okay. at, uh, Lenox Hill Hospital. And, um, I moved with my parents to Massachusetts where they were originally from, uh, when I was about three years old and then my brother was born the next year and we grew up in, uh, like I said, Shrewsbury, right in central Massachusetts. Okay. And, um, I went to basically private Catholic school my entire life, all through college, uh, through Georgetown, mm-hmm. um, went to an all boys Catholic high school, uh, Went to Catholic, uh, like an elementary school, met a different middle school, St. Mary's, who's brand and Veteran Academy in, in uh, Worcester. Okay. Uh, yeah, and that was that was the upbringing. Pretty pretty typical, just like playing sports and uh, you know being involved in the community in any any way we could, you know. Yeah, and I know you're tight with Pete too. So, what sort of influence did your parents and Pete have on you as well growing up? I mean. You know, my, my brother Pete and 
my parents, Mary and Jim, are all really funny in their own right. So, I mean, honestly, I think that's where my, like, my, uh, like, the reason that I, I think laughter is so important is because of my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that extends out to, like, my cousins and stuff, too. Like, everybody really values laughter. And so, um, you know, Pete and I still to this day, like, there's no two no two people who laugh harder together. I mean, like every time we're together, we'll at least have one time where we're like killed over with laughter. My parents will walk in and be like, "What are you laughing at?" <laughs> um, so that's just you know that's just how we grew up. And and uh, yeah, I was I'm always I was always trying to make them laugh. I mean, like when I was really young, I would watch like reruns of SNL and I would watch uh, Dana Carvey's old stand up and um, I remember watching like Aladdin and, and Robin Williams playing the genie doing like impressions of Jack Nicholson. I, I loved a cartoon too, so I would draw the faces, kind of like imitate the faces that they had drawn for the genie being Jack Nicholson, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. How old were you when you were doing that? I was probably like ten, around okay. ten. Wow start to try to like make the faces yeah like and then try to do the voices so i would start and then like same with dana carvey like i listened to him do a jimmy stewart impression i don't know what jimmy stewart was but i'd like walk into my kitchen and be like oh hey mom and dad uh, where's dinner right you know and they'd be like what is this 10 year old so they all knew you were a pretty good impersonator early on correct yeah okay impressions of uh my teachers like carpooling to school and back home i would imitate the teachers and um my friends would give me uh, scenarios and stuff and so that i think that kind of gave me the the um improv bug too just like yeah learning to improvise and come up with stuff on the spot and just throw it out you know, right that, that. um so you so you went to georgetown for college and um and during college, I know when we talked earlier last week, you said that you started doing a little bit of acting on the side. Is that when you started to slowly kind of pursue it? Well, I did. I did. Um, I did stuff like TV station at Georgetown. I like anchored the news and did like a couple episodes of a, a like a show called Late Night with John, where I'd bring my friends in uh, and we'd like shoot little sketches and fake commercials and stuff, which is something that I did with my friends in high school too. Okay. Uh, and then after college, I mean, I didn't really do any acting in college. one class my senior year. And I remember like really enjoying it, but also I had some other friends in the class who were like, this is just an easy A. And I like vividly remember the, like a couple of my friends were like goofing off or something. And the teacher like was like looked over to me and was like, I mean, we got to quiet these guys down. And I remember being like, don't, we're not, no, we're not on the same page. Don't make me the teacher's pet in here. Just cause I'm like, uh, <laughs> and then when I graduated, um, I took a job in consulting. Okay. And the people there were great. And I, it was easy to tell myself, you know, no one really likes their job, but if they like the people they're working with, that's all that matters, you know? Right. It's, like, easy to talk myself into a, a, a corporate job okay. because that's what everybody around me was doing. And, like, Georgetown is a very, like, the, the mentality there, I feel, for most people is I'm 
going to take this class because it will make me learn about this, which will help me get an internship, which will then get me a job, which will then, you know what I mean? Like everything is A equals C. Definitely. And deep down what I wanted to do was not like that at all, but I couldn't bring myself to say, yeah, I'm just going to move to LA and be an actor, you know? Right. It didn't seem like a plausible uh, life, you know? Right. So then... Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so then so you went into the, the corporate world right after graduation, I did, right? I, I was disillusioned really quickly. Okay. <laughs> and I contacted that teacher who wanted me to be the teacher's pet, Sarah Marshall. Was her name, actually. <laughs> I remembered Sarah Marshall. That's terrible. <laughs> um, she was like, here's a website to sign up for. You can get auditions there and like get a headshot. And I have like a really goofy headshot. It's like yeah, it was as if I was selling real estate and I look like I'm 18 years old <laughs> and, but I submitted for some stuff and I literally booked every single thing that I auditioned for one of the biggest ones I got paid like 2500 bucks to be an actor in the sexual harassment training for the army <laughs> and and this is all like after work like on the weekends yeah there were okay. a times when I like day off where I was like, I'm going to work from home. I'm not feeling good. And I <laughs> a set. And right. Protect, okay. Uh, uh, inappropriate army. Um, <laughs> in the army. Or, yeah. <laughs> um, so were you telling people that you were doing these side gigs or were you just sort of testing it out on your own? I was testing it out on my own. I was taking improv classes at night, but like for the army thing, like, they shaved my head and I don't ever have a shaved head. And I just like came into work on a Monday and it was the middle of February. There was a blizz, no joke. There was a blizzard outside and I had shaved my head and everyone was like, what <laughs> is wrong with you? <laughs> it's need to switch in February when it's 30 below. That's really funny. Um, so, uh, so what point did you kind of, did you think about like, Hey, maybe I can make this like a real gig. Like maybe it, it is time to move to LA. Well, it's funny because like, you know, like not telling the people I worked with that I was doing it was, I don't know. I don't want to say there was like some shame around it, but, but it was kind of a feeling of like, this is not a real thing. If people knew that I was doing this, they would think I was crazy. You know, like I'm making money here. I have a nine to five job. Why would I ever give that up to do something that everybody says is impossible to do? Right. 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 Um, and, uh, at that same time, I, um, I was like driving up on the weekend to be the lead in a, basically like a student film. Uh, that was shooting in Pennsylvania. Please don't look it up, but it is on Amazon Prime. <laughs> what part of Pennsylvania? Um, it was one of Penn State's like uh, outer campuses. I forget exactly okay. what it was. So you're out there. It was, yeah. it was a forestry school. Okay. I was doing a, a film. And um, as I was doing that, one of my best friends from growing up, uh, Pete Wood, was who had gone to Harvard and studied uh, like physics and then changed his major to, uh, or it was chemistry and then changed his major to English. He was really kind of inspiring to me because he was just doing whatever he wanted to do in life. And um, he 
he worked at a pharmaceutical company and then he quit and he lived in Paris for a little bit. And at the time that I was shooting this movie in um, Pennsylvania, he had moved to LA with two of his buddies from Harvard and he was like, I'm going to try to be a screenwriter with these guys. Yeah. Um, and so he and I just had a call and we're catching up and I was telling him about stuff. And he was like, dude, like this is when we were carpooling back and forth to school. We talked about how you would be on SNL and I'd be your writer. And we were doing all of these impressions and stuff. And, and I was basically like giving you scenarios and then you were making us all laugh. Um, he was like, this is what we always dreamed of. Why do you have a good, uh, education under your belt? You've already had some experience in the corporate world. Like, why not just they screw it and move out. Yeah. And I talked to my brother and I talked to my parents and the three of them were all like, yeah, you, you always thought you would do something like this, but we never wanted to like push you to do it. So yeah, go do it. And how old were you, John, at this point? I was, uh, I think I was just about to turn 27. Okay. Got it. So you're like three or four years out of college. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I had, yeah. I had like three full years at this job and, um, yeah, I mean, it was really like the minute my parents and brother were like, yeah, go for it. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, I'm going to do it. And I told my boss, I like gave him two months, um, heads up. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And he then like closer to the time I was leaving, told everybody in the office and everyone was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will say there was one guy who I worked with, his name is George Lane. And he came up to me after they announced it in the office. He came up and he said, John, how old are you? And I was like, uh, 26 and he was like you know when I was 26 I quit my corporate job I went on the road with a band we did shows and we were you know doing the whole entertainment thing and honestly I didn't practice enough really and it didn't end up working out but he was like but look at now I'm a principal at this company right so he was like go for it and if it works out amazing and if it doesn't you'll be fine yeah I love that yeah, that meant a lot to me. Yeah. I shared with you the quote in the questions I sent over. It's one of my favorite quotes by Laird Hamilton, the surfer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it says, people say you're not scared. He says, actually, no, I'm the most scared. I'm scared of those big waves, but your imagination is always greater than the reality. Subjecting yourself to the thing you fear is probably the most important way of becoming acclimated to it, being intimate with it, and then all of a sudden it doesn't have the power that it once had. Um, so I feel like you're almost like a testament to that. So you just, you went out there and did it and and you're still doing it. Yeah. I think that, I think that that is such a, it's such an insightful statement because I I can name many, many times, uh, since I've been out here and also just the time of saying, I'm going to quit and I'm going to move. I didn't know what would happen right after I moved, but like, I told my boss I was quitting, and then I had to. <laughs> and then <laughs> I bought the plane tickets, and then I had to go. You know, right. so like, I just you just like make the decision to go for what is scary, yeah. and when you get on the other side, it's not nearly as scary. It will right. be for a little bit. Like the timing is relative, but like, yeah, I, there's so many times when I've just like thrown myself into the metaphorical wave. Right. And, and then sometimes you, you fall off the, the board, but like a lot of times you ride it in. Yeah. So Better than thought of me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you moved to LA you're 27. How old are you now? 36, 37? 36. Okay. So you've been out there for nine years almost, almost 10? Yeah. It's been pretty much 10 years. Yeah. Okay. 
Awesome. And um, so we talked about this when I, we talked on the phone last week about, I listened to this podcast, Hugh Jackman um, was on, um, on the Tim Ferriss podcast. And he was talking about how becoming an actor is really similar to building your own company. So it takes like at least five years to start even to begin to build your brand and even sometimes see success. So can you tell us about those first five years of building your quote unquote like brand or company? Yeah. Um, well, I think that, you know, we talked about this too, uh, how did working in, uh, at a business, like at a corporate, uh, company affect my outlook on all of this. And mm-hmm. I think it helped me in that I was like, okay, I'm going to go out there. I mean, initially I said, I'm going to go out there for three years and kind of really give myself an honest re- reevaluation at that point. Um, but the way I looked at it was like, listen, you don't start a job and the next day you're the vice president of the company or the mm-hmm. CEO. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen. It takes a long time. And being an actor is the exact same thing. The difference is there isn't like a ladder to climb or like a linear progression of what your life is going you have no idea what to expect next right i did like in those first three years you know on my 27th birthday i remember i was skyping with my parents because they were in london i just had a full-blown meltdown i was just mm-hmm. sobbing i was like what am i doing with my life? why did you let me do this you know <laughs> and, and and i still have those times where i'm like everything sucks like nothing is working out the way that it should be i'm I'm, i deserve more than this and all that kind of stuff and now it's like my like pete and my parents will be like yeah totally feel those feelings but you're you're just gonna have to move on and because this is what you're doing with your life in those first five years i was really just trying to get a foothold trying to get some kind of like baseline for what i could somewhat expect each day like it doesn't start off that you have an agent and a manager and you've got some money in your back pocket and you can like work on other creative things while auditions come in like Mm -hmm. that's not the way it works it's like i was taking i started taking classes which at least gave me some kind of um uh feeling of stability right because at least like every tuesday and wednesday i had class okay I was learning and getting better at stuff. And that slowly helped me to build a friend group. And that slowly, like, then I got involved with, like, an improv team. And we uh, performing every Friday night. And I met more people. And I started to meet these people who were doing comedy or just acting. And honestly, like, in those first three years, the people I was meeting who had been out here for long and uh, had been going for it and really believed in themselves. I was like, Oh, I, I can do what they do. Or like, I think I'm funnier than that person, or I think I'm a better actor than that person. Right. And that made me feel confident in myself. Like, yeah, maybe we were, me and my parents and my friends and my brother were, were right. Like I'm capable of doing this. Mm-hmm. So that it's like, you really need to concentrate on the little wins at that point. Right. I couldn't get, I couldn't get into like a student film. I couldn't get, I, I didn't even know how to meet an agent. I didn't know how to meet a manager. And I was just kind of, yeah, class was a big thing. Like learning about the world and meeting people and hearing their experiences and networking as much as possible. That was really the first five years. Yeah. Um, and then, so when you're doing, like, I have this in one of my questions. So 
you know, I cold call for my job in commercial real estate and there's a ton of rejection, but in your industry, I feel as though the rejection is like so much more severe because at times you're getting rejected publicly in front of a crowd. Like you can totally bomb. So how do you handle those little like rejections and, and setbacks? Um, you know, I, I think that honestly, the longer that you're doing this, the worst, the, I mean, the, the, um, the <laughs> easier it is to deal with rejection because <clears throat> like I said, through these classes and stuff, I was really starting to believe in myself mm-hmm. I mean, like, I, I am talented. I do have talent. I, I can be funny. I am capable of doing this stuff. And I'll tell you what, there's never been a time that I've been on stage and done something and thought that I'm killing it right now. And the audience being like, no, you're not. You stink. Right. At the same, at the same time, there have definitely been times when I've been on stage and I've like felt in my head, I'm not totally there. And the audience is reacting accordingly. Right. You know? So I think it's kind of like not rejection stuff is every, you realize that everything is subjective in this industry and some people are going to love what you do and other people are going to hate what you do. And right. that's, that's not a shot on you. It doesn't make you a bad person. Mm-hmm. It's just like uh, it's an opinion, and the as far as like auditioning, I, you just won't hear anything. Mm-hmm. But but you kind of can't pay attention to that or, or make that important because right. in a, a month or six months or two years, that same casting office could call you in for something else because they actually did like your tape. You just weren't the exact right person for that role. Right. 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 Um, so, so at what point did you sort of feel like you were on to something? I know like you just mentioned like the first few years you did like the acting classes and you started building confidence, but were there any like first big breaks, like projects that you were like, okay, like I'm feeling no pretty good. Yeah. Once I got, um, deeper into the groundlings, uh, school, which is the groundlings is like where Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy and Maya Rudolph and. Chris Kattan and uh, John Lovitz, Phil Harbin, all these sketch comedians came from. Okay. And yeah. Tell us about the, the Groundlings School. I think a lot of people might be unfamiliar with it, but obviously like all these, you know, famous comedians started there. Yeah. So when I was looking for a comedy school to go to, I was between Upright Citizens Brigade and the Groundlings. And I did the first level of both. <clears throat> and the Groundlings was... Uh, in my opinion, a little more focused on developing characters and doing these big characters, which is the SNL that I grew up watching, you mm-hmm. know, and like Will Ferrell is doing all these crazy characters. And I thought they were hilarious. And that's what I wanted to do too. So I kind of stuck with the groundlings and you have the first class, which, which introduces, introduces you to improv. And then the second class is all about building character. So they'd say like, as an example of an assignment, go out and get a magazine that you would never subscribe to, read through it and then make a character out of that and give us a monologue on who this character is when you come to class next week. Um, which I bought like a tattoo, it was like a tattoo, the magazine. <laughs> and my character was horrible, but like, <laughs> you know, I would just like keep hitting these walls and the my teacher was this guy, Drew Drogi, is hilarious and he just kept pushing me to like just 
get to the other and once I got to the other side of the wall I experienced this in every level of the groundlings once I got to the other side I was so much better than I was before it was because of these teachers that I had there and I felt like I was really getting onto something you know there is a wait list when you get to the last two levels so I a year and a half before I got into the second to last level and like two years before I got into the final level and during that time I was doing shows and stuff and I wasn't really booking anything but once I got into that final level I was starting to feel like I was hitting my stride and coming up with really good characters and stuff and at the same time I got an audition and I booked this show called First Impressions of Dana Carvey and it was kind of like surreal it's like oh I grew up watching Dana Carvey and nice. doing impressions in front of them <laughs> and I was like really proud of what I did on that show and I remember Dana Carvey came up to me backstage and was like I love your take on Stallone and I was like I, I what that's amazing <laughs> you know, like, it was great <laughs> yeah um and so that's like when I started really feeling like okay some stuff is happening and at the same time I had booked like a video game where it was the first time they used uh, actors who were in the union and it was like me and Michael B. Jordan and some and like Matt Walsh who's a big you recognize him because he's in every big comedy movie and okay. uh, Burris and all these people who were like you did like the motion capture stuff where you wore a suit and acted out scenes that were in between uh, games that you play in NBA 2K17. So like at that moment, I really was like, oh, I'm booking stuff. I'm doing well at the Groundlings, and things are going to really start rolling. Right, and ha- that's like three, four years into LA at that point. That's probably that's probably about five years. Five in. years in. Okay, got it. Okay. Um, and then, uh, and then you got called by Saturday Night Live, correct? A couple times. Yeah. Okay. Yes. After the last level of the Groundlings, I was invited to be a part of the Sunday Company there, which is like SNL. It's like the best training ground for SNL. You you write sketches all week and you put up a new live show every Sunday. Okay. Uh, and it's all original characters and stuff like that. So after I had done that for six months, SNL came and we had a showcase on the stage, the Groundlings, and I uh, had a manager at that time. Um, who I met through a friend who was directing something who put me in it, you know? So like, it was all about connections, how I got that manager. And he brought his friend who was an agent to come to the show. And he was like, tell me who you think, who you like the best out of this group that's gonna perform. And he was like, Jono. And so, uh, like I had a meeting with that agent the next, like two days later, and I'm still with that agent. And about, Two days after that, we got a call that SNL wanted to fly me out to New York to uh, do what's called a network test, which basically means you sign the contract, they bring out a few people, and they see like what you are like in front of them and on camera. So I did it like on the stage where they do the yeah, it was like a gold net. I was like, I never, I I can't believe I'm standing on the stage right now. Yeah. And, um, I'll be honest, like, I did that, that first test, and I was like, I absolutely murdered it. I killed it. Yeah. They are I'm going to be moving to New York next year. This is incredible. And right. I w- went out for the night with some other people I knew who were uh, auditioning, Heidi Gardner, who's on the show right now. I met up with my cousins and with Pete and um, my buddy Teddy Bressman, who's one of the guys who I 
moved out here with, yeah. or I moved into his house, and we like celebrated like crazy, and then I didn't hear anything, went back to LA, two weeks went by, heard back from them, they said, come back out to New York and do it again with new characters and impressions, which I was like, uh, well, I already gave you all my best stuff, so I don't know. Right, <laughs> but, right, right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and, and to be honest with you, Steph, like, this is something that I've found too. It's, it's like, and it's helping me develop my outlook on everything and to not really get my hopes up because you never know when things are going to happen. And I thought, well, I just tested twice for SNL. I'll surely be the lead in the pilot this year or something. Right. And nothing happened. Right. Nothing happened. And I was like, whoa, I went back to the Sunday company and continued with that. And I was like, well, what's going to be the next thing? I can't, it's, it, it kind of blew my mind, but I think was also a lesson to be like, just, you know, a lot of people have done this and they do it every year. So you're not necessarily, uh, you know, the, the, what's the word? Like you're not, you're not different than everybody else. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Um, and that was like, you said like five years into, into LA. The SNL stuff happened, uh, closer to like set seven, seven and a half. So it was after, after I'd done a year and a, a six, eight months or so with the ground. Got it. Got it. But you've got to think it's like, it was a learning experience too. Right. And sure. in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was like more, more proof positive that I was doing what I should be doing. Yeah, you know? definitely. Um, and can you talk about some of the other projects you've worked on? Cause it's been really cool. Such as, you know, that's a Raven. And then yesterday we talked about, you were on, um, good day LA and some of the other exciting, exciting things that you've gotten to do. Yeah. So when I, when I came back from, uh, the SNL stuff, um, like a, a year went by and I continued with the comedy and everything. And, um, I, I booked a, what ends up becoming a recurring role on Raven's Home on Disney, which was like the, the reboot of That's So Raven. Mm-hmm. And I was cast as Chelsea Daniels' uh, ex-husband. She was the best friend of um, Raven, Simone. Okay. Um, who's my now girlfriend in real life. Yeah. Uh, in romance. <laughs> um, and, and that, so that happened. I did like three episodes that, that year and... At the same time, uh, my buddy who I'd always written sketches with at the uh, Groundlings, and he had gone out to FML too, um, we started a sketch show. We were like, let's just put out a sketch every single week and see if it catches on. And it was called John and Michael Try. And I think because we were just doing that and like trusting our gut that we had funny things to do and we wanted to put it out there because it was all, most importantly, it would be fun for us and like, scratch that creative itch uh it ended up going on to um funny or die and amazon prime wow and that got a little a little traction we're trying to uh, pitch it to be a a bigger show right now um and during this too like I, i had other friends who were casting things who said would you audition for this and uh booked little roles in uh a movie called jungle land and a crooked somebody and um searching <laughs> as like a, a news anchor and most recently i just shot an episode of uh curb your enthusiasm which is so cool so yeah, so cool was, yeah. 
And then and we talked about, um, well, first of all, also that's so cool that you met your girlfriend, like on, like, was it like on set that that happened? Well, I met, yeah, I met her on set and, um, you know, we were, we hit it off and had a lot in common, you know, like talking to each other and everything, but we didn't start dating until, uh, really until like after the first or the third, I came in on the third season after the third season was over and we had a rap party then. You know, we started talking more and started dating after that. Yeah, so awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we were talking last week, too, about how your impersonations have been going, like, viral on TikTok. I think you yeah. have, like, 350,000 followers. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and then because of that, I think you said Good Day LA had you on yesterday, which is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, there's, there's in between doing all these sketch shows and doing stand-up and getting auditions every now and then it's like uh, a couple people were saying john get on tiktok it'll just get you out there more and you do impressions and you can do them really quickly and say a quick make a quick joke out of it and people will respond to it and again there's that thing where it's like on the one hand i'm like i'm not doing that like nobody does tiktok except little kids who are doing dances. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. But really what I was thinking was, well, what if I put my stuff out there and it gets one view and everybody hates it or everyone thinks I stink? And so after, uh, like, several people had said get on there, I was like, okay, I'm going to give myself two weeks of doing it and I'm not going to be married to the results. I'm just going to do one every day and just see what happens. Yeah. And, like, at, the, at, like, 10 days in, a Nick Nolte impression I did got like 30,000 views. And I was like, I'd never seen views like that before. And I was like, okay, maybe people are responding to this. Cause like Nick Nolte isn't my go-to by any means. Right. <laughs> um, and so I just kept doing it. And then I talked to another friend who was on there and uh, she's like on a TV show and stuff. And she was like, what you really need to do is put out a new one every day for six months. And I was like, okay, cool. Like this also this does the same thing. It scratches the creative itch. It gives me something to do and to accomplish every day, which I think is huge. You know, you hear people say, wake up and make your bed because mm-hmm. it gives subtle feeling of accomplishment that helps you to get through the day. I mean, the TikTok stuff was kind of like that for me. Right. Like when I filmed one and thought, oh, this is funny, it made me, I had a sense of accomplishment. So like even if I had a week or two weeks without any auditions, yeah, I'd still be putting something out that kind of revved my engine. You know? Right, right. Um, and isn't it true that, I think you said it got into Vince Vaughn's hands, some of the impressions that you did of him? <laughs> well, I was, I was, when I was doing the Curb Your Enthusiasm um, uh, episode, like during lunch I was talking to some people who worked on the show and they were like, hey, just so you know, your uh, TikTok has been circulating amongst all of us. And I was like, what, really? And they were like, because Vince Vaughn is on Curb Your Enthusiasm, and they were like, uh, yeah, you're you're more Vince Vaughn than Vince Vaughn, you know? <laughs> so, like, if anything, it kind of is, like, I obviously wasn't doing impressions on that show, but I was doing well and, and having fun improvising and stuff, and them seeing that, it just gives them an extra thing to be like, oh, this is kind of a funny guy. You know? Yeah. For sure. That being said, I was just thinking about one of the common themes that I've discussed in a lot of my interviews is the meaning of the word grit. So Angela Duckworth, she's from Philly, wrote the New York Times bestseller, Grit, the Power of Passion and Perseverance. 
And a quote from the book is, there are no shortcuts to excellence, developing real expertise, figuring out really hard problems. It all takes time, longer than most people imagine. You've got to apply those skills and produce goods or services that are valuable to people. Grit is about working on something you care about so much that you're willing to stay loyal to it. It's doing what you it's doing what you love, but not just falling in love, staying in love. So what does the word grit mean to you and how have you applied it to your career in LA? I like I love quotes like that because mm-hmm. you hear that so many successful, amazing people. And it, it kind of like it, it gives me a sense of calm in a way. Mm-hmm. Because it is true, like it takes so long, like everybody says you know, that, oh, they, they came out of nowhere. It's an overnight success. And there's no such thing. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I do think grit is not taking any shortcuts, putting in the time, being willing to get those rejections and like the slaps in the faces or the failures where you think you're great and you get cut down to size or coming up to those walls and then busting through them and getting to the other side, like being willing to do that because you trust in your gut that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Like that's in terms of acting, that's like what has helped me to keep going because I'm like, this is what I'm doing with my life. Yeah. What I'm supposed to be doing with my life. It's the only thing I could do with, that's not the only thing I'd probably still be a consultant, but like, it, you know, it's it's what I really want to do. And as long as I'm not, you know, having to live on the street, you know, yeah. then I'm going to keep going, you know. Uh, with that in mind, can you also talk about why it's important to find a job that gives you joy? Because you've been on both sides of the fence, you know, in the corporate world and now doing what, like, you actually love to do. I mean, I think the biggest thing is that, like, if you're doing what you love to do, then the setbacks are not going to be as painful okay. or, you know what I mean? Like if yeah. you're doing something you don't love and you get fired, it's like, you know, Jim Carrey said this and I, I'm sure you, did you see the um, speech you gave? I forget what college it was, but it was like for a graduation speech. Yes. 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 I'm talking about. I think he said something because his, his father was according to him, one of the funniest people in the world. And he could have done what Jim Carrey has done. Mm-hmm. He said, but in order to support his family, he took like a, a quote unquote normal job. And he ended up getting fired from that. And they had to live on, live out of, the, out of their van. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, you can fail at doing what you don't love. So why not give everything to, doing what you do love right because you can fail at both but you might as well like really go for something that means something to you um because you know what else is the point and and that doesn't necessarily mean like you can't be passionate about whatever job you have i mean like i feel like i'm just lucky that that i really know what i want to do yeah you know I had a friend growing up, like, I swear to God, he was, like, in the seventh grade, he was like, I'm going to be a doctor. And he is. Yeah. <laughs> and God bless him, he's great. Like, he should be a doctor. But, like, I think that the toughest thing is really figuring out what you care about and what you do want to do. 100%. Definitely. 
Um, and John, you, re- you remind me of, um, uh, I was telling Ashley Pete and Jenna this when we first started talking a couple months ago at the party I ran into them at as, um, yes. so have you watched Mayor Beast Town? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so Brad Inglesby is a writer producer from Philadelphia. So yeah. everyone from Philadelphia was like really obsessed. Like maybe it was just my family. We were like weirdly obsessed. We would like rewatch episodes to figure out who was the murderer. Um, <laughs> but also just waiting to the references of Wawa and yes yeah 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 and so so listeners that may not be familiar it was a, t- a murder mystery TV show on HBO and I think there was like seven total episodes aired every Sunday yeah. night um, and it's based in a very Pacific part of Philadelphia that has a Pacific accent that we call like Delco which Saturday Night Live like yeah. ripped yeah. apart <laughs> um, but um, but anyway so <laughs> but but um but Brad is, you know, like one of our own. So we were all like, yeah. and everybody in Philadelphia like knows each other. I don't know if you've learned that from Jenna, but, um, so, <laughs> or it's like related. And so like we all knew of Brad Inglesby and we're like so proud of him because he, um, you know, I think went to Villanova and then after Villanova was like, you know, uh, like I think he was like a substitute teacher, like doing writing on the side and then went to LA and took the risk. And now he's, I think he's like maybe like 43, or so, um, maybe a little bit older. And he is now has this, like, you know, all the success, but it took a long time. And I, and there's a stories I should know about it where I think a lot of his pieces got like rejected over and over again. Um, but anyways, but yeah, no. So it's, it's really, it's so cool what you're doing. Um, really, really cool. But, um, also speaking of mayor of Easttown, cause you're so obsessed with it. How did you think, um, Kate Winslet did with her, with her accent? Is that really hard for an actor to do? Or an actress. Well, I, listen, I think there. Are, I think there are some people who can do it pretty naturally. I mean, like on Raven's Home, I'm British. Listen, I don't think that Disney is really saying ah, he doesn't quite have the dialect. But um, you know, I I, I I didn't practice being British or anything. I just walked in and I was like, hello, I'm kind of a Hugh Grant kind of person, you know. <laughs> like I didn't. I, but um, I you know, Kate Winslet and uh, the vast majority, if not all actors who get a role that are doing, and they have to do a very specific dialect, will work with a dialect coach. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and in order to get it right, and you know, she's, Kate Winslet's British. I remember at the very beginning, like the first episode, I was like, ooh, she's really trying to hit that accent. Yeah. And then, but then I feel like within like 30 minutes of the first episode, I was like, oh, she's got it. Yeah, she's yes. Got it. Agreed. Agreed. That's what everyone else said too. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But Jonna, do you have time for a couple rapid fire questions? Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. So what are your daily routines that help you sort of conquer the day? Um, you know, they, they do kind of switch off, but as long as I'm doing one of, um, the, I mean, always making my bed in the morning, like getting that sense of accomplishment Mm -hmm. right now, like getting a TikTok, I'm posting a TikTok every, every morning. Yeah. And then, like, either journaling or uh, meditating or getting a workout in. Those are the things that really help me to, you know, have that sense of accomplishment, but also know that I'm doing something that's going to benefit either my mind or body or both. You know? Yeah, 100%. I think journaling's awesome. I started to do that a year ago, and I've done it every day. And I have, like, this yeah. Word document that's, like, 200 pages. <laughs> I'm like, hope nobody, hope nobody ever finds this. <laughs> Sometimes you miss it. And yeah. Work, but yeah. Right. 
And then um, what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self? So you're 36 now? I'm 36. Okay. So um, I think I would just tell myself to just keep going. Just keep going. Yeah. Um, the, the valleys are longer than the peaks, but the peaks are real nice. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, and then this sometimes stumps people, but if, so it's okay if you can't think of it, but if you could put one phrase on a billboard, what would it be? I'd say uh, trust your gut. I like that one too. Definitely. Yeah. Um, because also like that could make people, if they're about to like pick up their phone to do a text, their gut's probably telling them like, don't text the drop. Right. 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 um and then if you could gift one book to every person what would it be oh god that's tough i know this is a tough one too uh, what is hold on uh, you know i i recently read and this is not the book but I, i recently read um the power of positive thinking and okay. there are there are some great things in there but the vast majority of that book it was written in like the 50s it's incredibly misogynistic but if you can get through that stuff okay. then some of, some of the ideas in there are really good and it's mostly about like believing in yourself but i think that um i i recently reread uh the chris farley show it's a biography of Chris Farley and I think that's I really love that book because we all vaguely know his story but just hearing about his ups and downs and his struggles and his desire to be the best version of himself that he could be is is pretty inspiring of yeah. course it's bad but it's it's a really great read it's a quick deal. I'll include yeah. those in the show notes too um so I think this wraps everything up. Anything else that you want to tell the listeners? Um, no, I mean, like, except just follow my stuff and give me some love. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> I'll include, I'll include all your um, uh, in the once I do a post for the podcast, some of your impersonations that you've done and stuff, um, and your TikTok account, all that good stuff. I really just say like, be, just be good to each other. Be good to to the people you see on the street because I really don't think there's anything better than like making eye contact with a stranger and smiling and either like making a quick joke and both laughing and then going on with your days. Like there's just nothing better than uh, a genuine, happy human connection. So, yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, John, that was awesome. Thank you so much. Hi everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to high five success stories. To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success, or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Hayden. Or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website, www.stephhayden.com. And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much.